Okay, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, great. Let's set this up. So I'm going to talk, and Wes is going to talk, and I'm going to talk. Um, so, praise God that we're here. <laughs> wow. Praise Him that we're standing here in Capitol, Texas. Amen. You know who's the Lord of this Capitol? Jesus Christ. The Lord of this Capitol. We are on His, in His territory. Praise God for that. I want to talk with you today a little bit about uh, Texas, the history of Texas law here with the uh, before Roe v. Wade. Talk with you a little bit about that since then. Wes is going to talk with you a little bit about what we've been doing here in Texas, what's happening now. And then I'm going to tell you about this bill and uh, and what where we go from here. And we're going to do all that in 45 minutes. But one thing again, I don't need to convince anybody here about about abolition. But I want to give you some ammunition that you can take from here and uh, and go elsewhere and. Uh, destroy, destroy false falsities and uh, vain speculations, and tell people that you're putting your trust in the wrong thing. Right. And that's one thing that I want to do here today, and, and tell you about. As we, um, you know, we go back to Roe v. Wade, we see that here in this country that that was a decision that we look back to for when we went off course. Before I talk about that, let me just tell you, we went off course way before that. And the reason that we got Roe v. Wade is because our laws were already unrighteous. I want you to go look back. I had a printout, but I left it in my car. Go look back, 1857. Go look at the 1857 law in Texas against abortion. Go read what it says. It's not justice. It's not justice. And that was basically the same law that was almost unchanged all the way up until Roe v. Wade. And I'm going to tell you a little bit what the Supreme Court said about that law and why it was inconsistent and why we now must be consistent to avoid what they, what, what, what happened then. But Supreme Court, that seems to be our problem these days. That seems to be what we think about when we think about how can we get rid of abortion in this country. That's where most Christians, most pro-life, most Republicans think how do we get rid of abortion? Well, we got to do it through the Supreme Court. Well, there's two ways to do that. You can either change the Supreme Court, or you can ignore it. Yeah! <laughs> and I guess I know where this crowd is. <laughs> we, we share that. We share that. So we've been trying for the last 44 years, though, to change the Supreme Court. And let me tell you why that's been a problem, why it's still a problem. Not that we shouldn't try to change it, that's okay. But we don't put our trust in princes, we don't put our trust in the Supreme Court. But let me tell you what's, why that can't be all we do, and that can't be where we put our trust. Again, most you're, you're gonna know most of this. You know, we keep, we keep going back to, and we've seen it this election cycle, we've seen it before, it's before and before. If we can only elect Republican presidents, we can get a Supreme Court justice appointed, and we can get rid of this Roe v. Wade, and everything will be good. The Supreme Court will overturn its own decision because they do that all the time, right? Yeah. Um, well, over the last 48 years, we've had majority Republican presidents. 28 of the last 48 years. Now we have another one. And we still have abortion. We still have abortion in this country. Well, but that's because we've been putting more faith in Republican presidents than we do in God. And we've been looking to them to save us and not to God. God works from the bottom up. Yeah. It has to begin here. 
Well, we say, but then only if we could get Republican appointed justices. Oh, yeah? Let me give you a little history. I'm going to blow through this. There's a video online you can watch of this. Um, so Nixon wrote all, comes, comes to office, and while he's in office, he ends up appointing four justices to the Supreme Court. And he knew about Roe v. Wade. It had already been filed back then. And even before then, it had already been an issue. Colorado was the first to uh, liberalize its laws on abortion, even worse than even the Texas one was. And Nixon, in spite of that, appoints these four men to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, at the time of Roe v. Wade, this was the makeup of the court. We had six Republican-appointed justices and three who were not. Three who were appointed by Democrats. Then Roe v. Wade comes along. And look, the Chief Justice is Republican. We've got five other Republicans, and there's only three Democrats. And Roe v. Wade gets decided. And look at this. Five Republicans... Or who gave us Roe v. Wade? Roe v. Wade is laid at the feet of the Republican Party and its presidents and its Supreme Court justice appointees. We need to stop talking about it like this is a Democrat problem. No, it's an everybody problem. Um, in fact, there was one Democrat appointee who voted against Roe v. Wade. So that's what happened. Well, but okay, we just didn't know at that point. We just didn't know. Now, after Roe v. Wade, we're going to appoint a bunch of pro-life justices, and we're going to get rid of this thing, right? Well, that's not exactly how it works out. So we get Ford, Republican, all right. And he gets to, someone goes off the court and voted for Roe v. Wade. Great, he gets to replace them. Carter comes along, I know a Democrat. Hey, good thing, he doesn't actually get to appoint any justices of the Supreme Court. All right. Reagan, we get our guy in. And hey, look, someone else who was for Roe v. Wade goes bye-bye. Let's get somebody else in there. Hey, Burger, he voted for Roe v. Wade. Get rid of him. Replace him. Hey, Powell, he voted for Roe v. Wade. Get rid of him. Replace him. Hey, we're cooking along pretty good here. All right, Bush comes to power. Brennan, he voted for Roe v. Wade. Get rid of him. We're replacing a lot of these pro-Roe v. Wade judges. This should be a cakewalk to get rid of this thing now. And Marshall goes off the court. And now we have eight Republican appointed justices of the Supreme Court. Almost all of them appointed since Roe v. Wade. There's only one Democrat appointee left, and he voted against Roe v. Wade. <laughs> all right. So we're going to get rid of Roe versus Wade, right? Because this is the way it works. You appoint Republican presidents, you vote for them, they get into office, and they appoint people who are going to get rid of Roe versus Wade. Because that's exactly what happened. So we have, there's only one left who even voted for Roe. Two against. Now we've appointed all these people. This, we're going to get rid of this. Planned Parenthood versus Casey comes along. And how do they shake out? What? Five of them vote in favor of Roe, all five of whom are Republican appointed justices wow. to the U.S. Supreme Court. Wow. When you stop acting like the Republican Party and its presidents and its appointees are really good on the issue of life, because they're not. And again, the one Democrat votes against <laughs> Well, Clinton comes along, and of course, things don't go a good direction. It just gets worse. Bush appoints Roberts and Alito. I'll talk about them in a minute. Obama appoints Sotomayor and Kagan. And then we have a vacancy. Trump comes to power. And now Gorsuch, perhaps, could be the next Supreme Court justice. So 
At, at this point, this is the makeup of the court. We have one person who is for Casey, one against Casey, and then these six since Casey. And we know how these four, we know how these five, where, where they are. Then we have these three over here against Casey. And you notice I have a question mark on that. Because we, we, we say, well, Bush, W, our man, Texas, he appointed pro-life justices, right? Roberts and Alito. Well, that's what everybody's saying right now. And that's what everybody's thinking with Trump, that, look, we already got these three. If we can just get a couple more, then we'll get rid of Roe versus Wade. Just Gorsuch and one more. As Cruz even said, just a few, last couple days, he said, we may get another one even this summer. So, hey, we're about to overturn Roe versus Wade. And we're, I think, where a lot of people are. And I, again, I'm here to demolish vain speculations. Um, so here, are these two really against Casey? Or are they really against Roe versus Wade? Um, well, in 2007, the Supreme Court upheld the partial birth abortion ban. We're not here to talk about whether that was good or not. Uh, it wasn't, but uh, it, it was, that was bad law. But nevertheless, it was at least incremental. And it said, we're going to abolish, or we're going to end partial birth abortion. And the court upheld that. Written by Kennedy, joined by these four because they agreed, let's get rid of partial birth abortion. And But unfortunately, the author of that, Justice Kennedy, he says, we assume the following for the purposes of this opinion. Before viability, a state may not prohibit any woman from making the ultimate decision to terminate her pregnancy. And it says that, you know, basically a woman has a right to an abortion. And then it goes on to say, but this particularly heinous version of abortion, we're going to uphold this law. So Kennedy says, woman has a right to an abortion in, in the bill. Well, if that were you, and maybe, maybe if, I don't think anyone in this room does, but if you agreed with, yeah, let's get rid of partial birth abortion, but you don't agree with that a woman has a right to an abortion, and someone writes this opinion, and your name's on it, don't you think you'd write something that says, yeah, I agree with the whole get rid of the partial birth abortion thing, but I don't agree with the whole woman has a right to an abortion part. I know that's what I would do. Well, in fact, one justice did that. Justice Thomas, he writes this. He says, I join the court's opinion because it accurately applies current jurisprudence, but I write separately to reiterate my view that the court's abortion jurisprudence, including Casey and Rover's Wade, has no basis in the Constitution. So that's great. Hey, all right. Hey, there's one person that, at least on this, I can agree with. Um, and Scalia joins into that. <clears throat> you know how hard it is to join onto an opinion? Thomas sends his opinion around and says, hey, you want me to put your name on this? And yes or no. That's all, that's all it takes for your name to be on this opinion that Thomas has written. And this is basically the whole opinion, pretty short. Well, guess whose names are not on that? Guess who don't agree with his statement that Roe versus Wade and Casey have no basis in the Constitution? Roberts and Alito. Their names are not on that opinion. Well, it comes up again here last year. Texas passes a bill, HB2, which regulates abortion in four different ways, two of which are challenged, go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And again, Thomas writes an opinion that says, I don't, I don't agree that a woman has a right to abortion. Uh, and I remain fundamentally opposed to the court's abortion jurisprudence. All right, great, so do I. Guess who doesn't sign on to that one either? Roberts and Alito. So let's not be thinking that, hey, if Trump can just, if President Trump can just appoint a couple of people, we're going to get ourselves out of this mess because that's not what that hasn't worked for the last 44 years. And it doesn't look like 
we're anywhere close to doing that at this point either. Yeah. So we need to stop putting our faith in presidents. We need to stop putting our faith in the Supreme Court. We need to put our faith in God. Amen. Because this is what we've been doing for the last 44 years. We keep saying, presidents keep telling us, yeah, I'm going to let you, I'm going to appoint justice that, that uh, overturn Roe v. Wade. Sure, I'm going to do that. And we keep trying to kick that football and end up flat on our backs again and again. But we keep doing it. We keep doing it. We keep believing them. And it's not working. Well, we said, well, if we could just incrementally overturn Roe v. Wade. Oh, yeah, you want to see incremental overturn Roe v. Wade? Look at all these cases over the decades. Yeah, you know, they slowed down in the last two decades. Probably because we, we keep running out of things to lose on. <laughs> but we see here, has that hurt Planned Parenthood and their revenue? Nope, they're still doing just fine. In fact, you know what happens when you, re when you regulate an industry? You know who likes regulation in industry? The big ones, the big businesses. In fact, here's this is from a dissent that Alito did right. He didn't agree with, with uh, Thomas that abortion is uh, unconstitutional, but he writes his own opinion, and he says Planned Parenthood is obviously able to comply with the challenged HB2 requirements. The, the laws that we wrote in Texas, Planned Parenthood could, could comply with them. They had no problem doing that. But the president of Petitioner Whole Woman's Health, a much smaller entity, has complained that Planned Parenthood puts local independent businesses in a tough situation. You know what abortion regulation does? It hurts small businesses. You know who it helps? The big businesses. And that's Planned Parenthood's percentage of abortion. That's In business terms, that's called market share. That's what our abortion regulationism have, has done for the last 44 years. They just have more and more share of the market because they can abide by all the regulations. So that brings us to the other option with the Supreme Court. You can change it, or the other way to deal with their decision is to ignore it. You can ignore it because it has no basis in the Constitution and it violates the law of God. So two ways to do that. You can outlaw abortion, limit the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. Well, limiting jurisdiction is something that happens at the federal level. Congress can do that. They've been able to do that for the last 44 years. They haven't done it. Um, next time your person runs for Congress, hopefully get them to do that. But I'm not holding my breath. So in the meantime, at the state level, we can just say, we're just going to outlaw abortion here. And that's where I'm going to turn it over to Wes. <laughs> all right. I can listen to those three talk all night. I don't know why I'm up here. Uh, brother, you said something earlier, and it struck me. Psalm 3. I, I call this good news. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Yeah. That's, that's some good news. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. I'm up here to just basically give you guys some anecdotal stories. Uh, I want to tell you what we did. And, I want, and the reason I want to tell you what we did is because some of the, the, the political nerds, this is going to get really nerdy, I'm sorry. Um, this is some really nitty gritty political stuff, like localism type stuff. 
So just kind of like, it, and I have to go fast because I've only got like 20 minutes and I forgot to start my timer. Um, I thought I had 45, so oops. Bring it on. Here we go. Hang on. They can drag us from the room. Politics is, dir is dirty? I, I believe someone who said this is in the room. Politics is dirty? Of course it's dirty. Christians aren't involved in it. Oh. I'm going to talk a little bit about localism. We have been trying for the last few years to figure out how we can affect policy at the state level because we've kind of given up on the national level. Yeah! Woo! Now, I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for, I'm not, I'm not one of these don't vote guys. I, I, I believe it's okay to vote. I'm even okay with talking about like a protest vote. That's fine. Um, but as far as a, affecting actual policy on the national level, level I don't put much hope in it, and I just frankly don't spend my time there. If you want to talk about that, great. It's fun to have, you know, conversations. But that's not what we're, what we're taking. We're, we're taking a local approach. Starting with your county, then going to your state. How can we get our states to do what the federal government ought to do? Or, if you don't like that, how do we get the states to establish justice uh, and leave, make the feds leave us alone? So, strategy. We went for legislative priority. What is a legislative priority? Well, here in Texas, the Republican Party of Texas has a platform. Your Republican Party and your state probably also has a platform. What is a platform? Well, a platform is the, uh, the, the standards, the, the, if you want, the confession, if you will, of that group of people that vote as Republicans. Legislative priority was a vehicle that was invented by some folks in the Republican Party a few years ago as a way of saying to the legislature, you're not upholding the values that the platform puts forth. So we're going to come up with this priority list. That's going to be real short. The first time it was used was with the open carry law. It was called, the, the legislative priority that came up like four years ago was constitutional carry in Texas. This is what we want you to do, legislature. We want constitutional carry. That means repealing sections of the Texas Constitution which allow them to regulate the wearing of firearms for abuse to prevent crime. We get rid of that because we want a non-licensed carry. Well, today, I can carry, right? I can carry openly in the Capitol. That's amazing. But it wasn't really what they asked for. It's still a licensure, right? I still have to go you know, ask the state for permission. So, but as a tactic, I'm not here to talk about them, Carrie. As a tactic, it did kind of work. I mean, it was successful. It actually moved the ball forward. What they demanded was something up here. What they got was something back over here. And back a couple years ago, we started saying, what would, a, what would like a bill look like? If we, you know, we were upset with sort of um, HB2 style regulation, and this was before we would call ourselves abolitionists. A group of guys got together and say, what would a faithful bill look like? What would a bill actually calling to end abortion look like? And we started spitballing. We wrote, wrote a few drafts. I remember Bradley and I were, uh, had a Google Doc where we were writing some drafts and circulate around to some other people here in this room. It's people who will be here tomorrow. Um, and so then I had this idea somewhere in January of last year. Why don't we do what the open carry guys did? Why don't we do a legislative priority? It just literally like hit me in the back of the head. It's, it's, it was not... It was not like this grand scheme. It just, like, at the last minute, it was like, guys, why are we trying to legislate priority? And they're like, yeah, go ahead and do that. 
Okay, so we type up a resolution. Well, what is a resolution? So this is where it gets nerdy. Um, the way that the party is structured, it's structured as a republic. It's, it's structured as a republican form of government, okay? So you've got representatives that represent the voters. To be a Republican in Texas, all you have to do is vote in the last election, last Republican primary. That's it. There's like there's no other standard. You vote in the Republican primary, great, you're Republican for the next two years. But if you want to do more than that, let's say you could go on to the next level, well, you could actually run to be a precinct chair. Your precinct is an arbitrarily drawn line in the area where you live, which has a voters uh, voter base in it. Mine's about you know three to five thousand people. Sometimes they can be different, but it's a representative area, and you have a precinct chair. Now this precinct chair is supposed to. Their job is supposed to be to get voters to come vote Republican, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But one of the other things they do is at convention time every two years, you can put forth resolutions, right? Whereas such and such, you know, abortion is murder. Whereas Constitution says X. Whereas, we don't like it. Therefore, be it resolved, we want you to do this. So that's what we did. We wrote that. We want you to abolish abortion. We want you to end it now. We want you to ignore it. Ignore the Supreme Court. Ignore any federal law to the contrary. And we don't even want you to show up to court. So that's what we put forward. We put that forward in our precinct resolution. I'm sorry, that our precincts, we, we created that resolution, we put it in our precincts, it passed. We only had 10 days to really circulate this. I'm sure a lot of you remember me like frantically emailing you like, hey, here's this great idea, let's all do this. And we got about 10 to 15, by the last count, SDs or Senate districts and counties, county conventions, to pass some form of something calling for the complete abolition of abortion, using those words and calling for the state of Texas to enact legislation to refuse to enforce these, these rulings, these edicts, these, these, uh, these, un, uh, these are not laws, these are just opinions. And so we did that, and then we went on to your, your go to your county level, which for many people in some precincts is literally the same day. You have your precinct convention, you put on this hat, turn around, you go to your county commission, you're there, hey, we're all here together. Now all the precincts in your county get together. Everybody who wanted to go to the county convention is elected to go to the next level, the county convention. This is why it's Republican. This is why it's you know representative. And then at the county convention, you do the same thing. You argue for your resolutions. There's usually a lot of them. And so then we took it to that level. And then the county packages all that stuff up, and they send it along to the state level. And then the state is big. In Texas, you do everything big, right? 7,000 delegates. 7,000 is the largest political event in the world happens every two years. So I was elected, a bunch of people were elected, uh, and I encouraged to, hey, go to your, go to your county commission, say, I want to go to state, because we're all going to go to state, and we're all going to take this resolution, and we're going to show up early, and we're going to go through the committee process. Most people who show up at a, at a, a state-level convention, they show up for the Thursday, the Friday, and the Saturday, because that's the big days. That's when all 7,000 delegates come together in one room, and that's when all the, you know, the politicians show up and come on stage clapping and theme music. <laughs> you know, Big John. John Cornyn walks in the room. And, uh, and so we were going to go do this uh, and try to push this resolution all the way through and try to get it on the platform as a legislative party. That's all we were going after. Um, and so that's basically what we did. We showed up on the Monday, though, because the committee meetings start on Monday. 
And guess who was the head of our committee? You know, someone who does not agree with us at all. And the other people in the subcommittee, they weren't very favorable either. But what we did was we, 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 were, just, we were just there. Politics is to those who show up. So my point of being up here today is just to give you a little peek into another avenue. Like others have said, they, you know, we're not against what you guys are probably already doing. Street corners, you know, <laughs> find the sinners, preach to them. That, that's fantastic. This is another avenue. Amen. And what I've always wanted out of, you know, out of the message that we wanted to convey was to pull people out of the pews and into this process. Because this vehicle does exist for us. This vehicle exists for us to affect change and change policy. Um, and so this is an avenue. And I, I believe with my whole heart that we need to show up to this. If we just, I, I've said this to several people, I'm way off script now, this, this is totally extemporaneous. If we just had like one homeschool family in every county in Texas, this would be over. Like really, that's all you need. And yes, I do want to get into the churches and I do want to talk to them about these things because I want to find those families. Find the families, show up. I mean, I wasn't even a precinct chair until like last week. Like, just, just show up. Just influence. Just preach. The legislators need to be preached to as well. Right? They need to hear, God demands you to establish justice. God demands that you, uh, you show mercy. Right? Don't, don't uh, you provide equal justice. You provide equal protection. That's what God demands of you. They need to hear that. And a lot, they're not hearing that right now. So this is an avenue. So the timeline of all this was, Russell touched on it earlier, February, we did this resolution. We only had 10 days to push it around because it was kind of like a oops, we forgot to do this. We should have done this sooner. Um, went around to about a dozen or so places. Uh, went all the way to the state. State convention's in May. So in May, building up to May, it's actually the end of February. I saw the videos of you guys in Oklahoma, some of you guys in Oklahoma, and I thought, that's awesome. <laughs> we got to do that too. But we can't do ballot initiatives here. It's against the law. We don't have that vehicle. That's a great vehicle. If you got it in your state, do that too. Amen. But here, we have to go through the legislature. We have to get our constitution changed a lot of times. Um, so, so that's what we were. That's what we were doing. So we met with these guys and said, let's. You know, we, we basically are on the same page here. I mean, we've got some finicky issues, perhaps that we're going to be arguing about for a while. But we are, we are, we are marching the same direction. Let's like join arms and do this together. And that's what we did. Uh, and so Russell drew, and we came up here and talked. And you know, our motto, <laughs> our motto is, you know, show up and try not to do something stupid. You know. <laughs> so far, so far, really, I, I don't, I don't want to get up here and just, you know. Look, it was obvious the Holy Spirit was at work all we were doing. And that's not because of us. It isn't. You know, I'm just I'm just an average guy. I, I program computers, I do software. You know, Bradley's a lawyer. We'll forgive him for that. <laughs> but this is an average folk sort of thing. And this is something you need to be involved in. The devil will try to stop you. Yes. He tried to stop this whole yes. operation. In those small committee meetings. Yeah. So we can't make it. So let's talk about some more about the subcommittees. So we're going to these subcommittees Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're, we're literally standing up and presenting to them things they've never heard before. 
But we knew going into it, it was my assumption that the, your average pro-lifer thought that's what it means. Like, what does pro-life mean? Well, it means you want to end abortion. There are a lot of people out there who think that. Yeah. So be, also be very careful when you use, when you take the word pro-life and use it in a negative sense. Right. Like, I understand what you mean, and, and I agree with you on a lot of that, but be careful because not everybody understands that. And you don't honestly have time to necessarily unpack all that to them. I, I say things like pro-life leadership or pro-life movement or things like that. I, mean, I know you guys say this thing, same thing as well, but, but your average person who's, who thinks that the money, the check they're sending to this pro-life organization, they think that that's what they're doing. And they're shocked to find out that that's not. Okay? So we, you know, where, where, we focus, where we focus our attack needs to be, at, I believe, at this level. So yes, working through the platform committees, we were up against a dismemberment abortion ban, which was a that there was another organization there was going for a getting a legislative priority as well. We were able to convince people with our words. We were able to speak in favor of abolishing abortion instead of regulating it. We should be treating it as murder. And we were able to say that many men and women, and we dominated those committee meetings. Lord God, we stood up. We spoke. And sometimes we're told to sit down and stop speaking. <laughs> and then we held signs with words with them. Yeah. <laughs> and, then we, and then we were told to stop intimidating people with words. <laughs> these are not intimidations, these are words. We wore shirts. Nobody, I'm not aware of really any you know, group that like, came to one of these convention things and, and like, had as like their <coughs> They're thing. hey, let's all put on the same shirt, and they'll think there's hundreds of us, right? <laughs> That's literally what happened, and that was, that was not my idea. <laughs> that was other people's ideas, it and like it worked great. Like 12 people. We had like maybe, like at any given moment, we had a max of 12 people there. We had about 7,000 pamphlets, and then it, you know, by the end it was like, yes, I have one, thank you. <laughs> we, went, we went to, again, getting nerdy here, at the convention process, you all meet as a big group, as a big delegate, 7,000 people in a room. Anybody can go up to that mic if you're a delegate. You can go up to that mic and request to speak about things, right? That's appealing to me because I'm like, I want to go up there and talk about abolition, right? But also part of that is you have breakout sessions, if you will. Your SD, your Senate district, will meet in another room. And then on uh, every other, uh, every other uh, cycle, you will also meet as your congressional district because you've got to elect your electors, and your electors go on to elect your president, right? So there's all these little sub meetings going on. We, we littered every single one of those rooms with uh, with pamphlets, and I would go in like, oh, this room already has pamphlets, and I'd go on to the next one, and oh, they've already been here, and you know, just littering these 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 seats with these pamphlets. And you see people in these meetings who are like just bored to tears, right? Who are like reading. Okay. And our pamphlet wordy, you know, it's like that was the problem we were talking about, like. This thing is so wordy. Are people going to even like be able to consume this? And they were sitting there. It's so beautiful. It's, not, it's like nothing else you see. I mean, everything else you see at these events is just like trash, right? It's like, oh yeah, move that away so I can sit down. And they would see this pamphlet. You know, we'd obviously try to be last, so we would like bring right on top of all the other literature. And and they would like, oh, this is this is new. This is different. And so that's how we got our message out, and we were able to get. Um, at the platform committee meeting, which was like before the big big group meets together, we were able to get, so there's about 31 uh, platform, there's actually one of them who was, who was in the room on the platform, but he's here tonight, 
um, and then a few, a couple of the other ones will be here tomorrow as well. Um, and we got, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, I want to say we got 29 out of 31 to vote for this. Wow. No other priority got anywhere close to that. It was, it was almost unanimous. Really frustrated that it was unanimous. One and all. Um, and then it went on. So this is now, you know, this is what they call a committee report. It's the platform committee report that goes to your big, the big room. So on, you know, Friday that gets, um, I'll skip a few things, but on Friday that gets uh, presented to the body, the delegate body, and the delegate body can vote to approve it. And through a series of interesting voting methods, we got about 88% of the delegate body. Wow. Now, now that's not the highest percentage for other what I'm going to call life issues. There were other issues. Some uh, brother, brother Scott here has point, rightly pointed out that the Republican Party of Texas platform is a little schizophrenic. If you were to read it when it comes to the life issues, you will see an abolition plank, and then right after you will see a what is this? Like this is this is dismemberment. It's a 20 week, it's a fetal pain. Like, well, what is this stuff? This is not square ideologically with where we are. And the reason is because they're not abolitionists. But they see, and most of them think, that part of the pro life strategy is that we should seek to abolish it. But then they also want to seek these other ways. And again, a lot of these people are hearing about this for the very first time. So we want to give them more time. And we want to go back and tell them more. Now there was an effort in the platform subcommittee that we did not initiate, that was self-initiated by the members of that committee to remove those planks. Those were the people who got it immediately. But it was very solidly crushed. That was basically two to you know 29, 28. Um, again, you know, against that. So these, you know, again, these are people who were hearing this kind of stuff for the very first time, and they, and they don't see, they don't, you know, they're not immediately ideologically consistent, right? Like we are, right? No, we're not. Well, none of us are. You know, I like to say, uh, I'm going to butcher this now, but uh, somebody else is, uh, I'm just quoting Russell, but I'm going to butcher it. You know, we don't, we don't become, we, we always become immediatist incrementally. <laughs> that, that's how it was for me. I mean, I've met a lot of people who have that exact same story. Um, so that's, that's kind of where a lot of people are. And so we want to go back. We want to do it again. It's another, it's yet another avenue to preach what we preach. It's just another, it's not a street corner, it's just in a big convention hall. It's another avenue to do drop carding. It's another avenue to do pamphleting. I mean, these are people who, who need to hear these, these words as well. But these are people who are already politically active. So you basically got people who are already considered themselves, you know, it, it, the meta, you know, if you want to use the metaphor of the soldier, they're already in the fight. They may not be in the fight for the same reasons, but they've got their own reasons. They've got their own reasons. I mean, they're going to take almost a week of time off work to go sit in a room and hear people drone on about political issues. Like, not everybody wants to do that. So you've got to understand the, like, the level of commitment they have to do that. They think it actually matters, right? I'm one of those, we're, we're kind of some of those people too. That's why we go and listen to people drone on. So, so my, my whole point of being here is to just give you a little anecdote of what we did, how we did it. It's not going to be the same for everybody. 
I mean, every state's going to be different. Your state might not even have the idea of a legislative priority. Uh, I would, I, I could, I could go on on this topic for hours. So I'm going to spare you and not do that. <laughs> if you want to know more about this kind of stuff, please come talk to me. Um, I would be happy to stay up late talking about this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is this is a kind of a, a Gideon's army sort of effort. Um, and you'd be surprised how much influence you can gain with just a few dozen people. Um, one last point, I'm at, I'm at 20 minutes now, so I'll let Bradley back up here. Politics is to those who show up. The relationships that you form, when you show up, I, I, I've only been showing up to my local Republican Party of Liberty County, that's where I'm a precinct chair, I've only been going there for two and a half years. Two and a half years. In two and a half years, and, and, and like one of them was just kind of just like, you know, hearing and understanding, and then the other was were a little bit more active. The relationships you form at these meetings, the relationships you form when you go on to the next, the next level of <coughs> conventions, that's, that's where these changes are made, because not any single one person can make these changes. No one can claim credit for any of this, like by themselves. I can't, I certainly cannot. It, it, it was obviously a move of God, to move people's hearts because he holds their hearts in his hands. Mm. If he holds the king's heart in his hands, you know he holds everyone else's heart in his hand. Hallelujah. So this is what it takes. Showing up to these avenues, these avenues of speaking to people, preaching the gospel to them, being faithful to the truth, being having your name aligned, it will happen. Absolutely will happen. Uh, being willing to have that done and being very patient and uh, something that I need, I need a lot of, having humility. Um, so yes, showing up to these meetings, you know, and trying not to say something stupid. <laughs> there you go, that's my talk. <laughs>
but we have this definition of abortion. Abortion means the use of any means to terminate the pregnancy of a female, known by the intending physician to be pregnant, with the intention that the termination of the pregnancy by those means will, with reasonably like, I'm a lawyer, I've got to show you the law, that's just what I do. Um, with reasonable likelihood, cause the death of the fetus. So intending to cause the death of the fetus, that's an abortion right there. Well, I mean, we also have this thing called murder here in Texas, and it's the person commits murder if he intentionally causes the death of an individual. So, in our law, abortion is already defined as murder under Texas law. It's already defined as murder. The problem is there's a section called 19.06, and I don't have up here because it's long, and it says, yeah, these whole laws against homicide, against murder, they don't apply to these people over here. Oh, if you if you kill a woman who's pregnant, double homicide. Oh, if you're drunk and run into a woman who's pregnant, double double homicide, double manslaughter. Oh, but these people over here are allowed to commit murder. That's what our law says. Yes. Not in those words, but that's what it says. So we wrote this bill. HB 948, the Abolition of Abortion in Texas Act. And go read the bill. That's the first line. The top short title of this bill is The Abolition of Abortion in Texas Act. That's the name. Come on. By Representative Tony And we take this definition that was already in Texas law and we take it to its logical conclusion. And we provide equal protection and justice regardless as a quoting from the bill, regardless of any contrary or conflicting federal statutes, regulations, executive orders, or court decisions. And the bill says that a living human child from the moment of fertilization is entitled to the same rights, powers, and privileges as are secured or granted by the laws of states any other human child. We're going to treat unborn children the same way we treat born children in this state. Equal protection and equal justice. And in fact, the bill states any federal statute, if what I said wasn't enough, just make it abundantly clear, any federal statute, regulation, executive order, or court decision which purports to supersede, stay, or overrule this act is in violation of the Texas Constitution and the Constitution of the United States of America and is therefore void. And then the next part, Wesley says this is his favorite part. If you like that, like this. In fact, not only is it unconstitutional, the state of Texas and its political subdivisions and agencies, you gotta put some legalese in there, I'm a lawyer, may not enter an appearance, special or otherwise, in any federal suit challenging this act. You know what that means? If we get sued, we're not showing up. So, by the grace of God, this is what the bill actually says. By the grace of God, Here's what happened. We, we, sh we went around and talked to a bunch of legislators in their offices, and everybody said, we love this. And then none of them <laughs> wanted to file the bill. Um, but then some, one of them said, hey, he shared it with a friend from another office, and said, hey, you need to read this. And he read it and said, we, need to, we do need to file this bill. Showed it to his boss, Representative Tony Tenderhall, and he said, we need to file this bill. And they did. They did file it, and that's why we're here today. The bill's not retroactive. As people say, you're going to make all these women who've already got abortions, you're going to throw them in jail. The bill's not retroactive. I believe in giving people notice before you throw them in jail. <laughs> what about prosecuting women? And now I'm going to get back to what I started with, because this is the most offensive thing in the yeah. bill. Yeah. 
You know, it's easy to get Texans to say, yeah, Supreme Court, we don't like you, we're not going to even show up. But what about prosecuting women? Well, again, I always say we're subjecting them to prosecution. I don't know that any of them will be prosecuted, but the bill needs to establish equal justice. We need to treat born children or unborn children, pre-born children, the same way that we treat born children. And that's what the law does. That's what the law does. And I said in 1857 we passed a law here in Texas, or there was a law that may have been passed a couple years before that, on the issue of abortion. And guess what it did? It did not provide for the prosecution of, of the woman. And in fact, it didn't even call abortion, it actually did call it murder. This is odd. It's, it called it murder, but only if the woman died. So if you're intending to kill the baby, but the woman dies, then you've committed murder. It's kind of odd. Um, the man who took the woman could be prosecuted. The abortionist could be prosecuted. But even then, the penalty was only two to five years. Yeah. Whereas, actually, the immediately preceding statute for rape, even for rape, was life in prison or death penalty for rape. The very next statute, abortion, two to five years for the slaughter of the pre-born children. So the bill needs to be consistent because guess what? If you want to know why we got Roe v. Wade, there are lots of reasons, but actually go read Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And there's actually, and again, I've been a nerd here too. I'm a legal nerd. <laughs> go read footnotes. If you like footnotes, footnote 54 of the Supreme Court decision. And the Supreme Court says, in fact, actually, I think I have it up here. Yeah. Yeah. You know what the Supreme Court said? They said, they said, Texas, if you're in here arguing that a person, or that a, the fetus is a person under the 14th Amendment, you've got a problem. Because, you, you've got a dilemma, as they put it. Because if the fetus is a person, why is the woman not a principal or an accomplice? And then they said, and if the fetus is a person, may the penalty be different for killing unborn versus born? That's what the Supreme Court said. We've been inconsistent in Texas for the last 160 years. And that's how we got here. And the only way to get out of this is to be consistent. Is to be consistent. So that's what the bill is. So tomorrow we're going to rally around that. We're going to rally around the bill. We're going to rally around State Representative Tony Tinderholt. Hey, back here in January, we had a lobby day. We, we had a phone call day, a phone bliss day, and we had a lobby day, and we got way more people than we even wanted that came, and it was great, and we just descended on all these offices. Amen. And at the end of the day, there were nine co-sponsors, co-authors. Wow. Nine co-authors. So there were a total of 10 Texas legislators who were standing for equal protection and justice for pre-born children here in Texas. And we're going to hear from Tony Tinderholt tomorrow. We're going to hear from four others that are able to make it. The rest of them weren't able to make it. Um, so I'm excited about that. I, know, I hope you are too. I know you are too. Um, so that, that's where we are. Again, Wesley and I can talk for a long, long time more. And we, we will talk a little bit more on Sunday. But, uh, but thank God that we're here. Amen. Thank God that we're here. He brought us here. And we give him all the glory and all the praise. It's all due to his name. All to him.